Thank you for listening to the Moral Revolution Podcast. In this session, Chris Ballatin will be sharing a message entitled, Healing the Whole Man. This is the second message in a four-part series. Last week, I uh, started um, a kind of a series, for, and actually, this is kind of my journey. Um, you know, we've been going after healing here, well, we've been actually going after healing for more than 30 years together, uh, but I mean, in a really intense way, it's intensified, at least since I've been here, the last 10 years, and uh, we really just been, it's just been something we go after every single service, and it's, it's become... Um, if there's such things as a positive tradition, it's become our tradition. Like we just, every service, every, you know, we pray for the sick in every single service purposefully. Like, and, uh, and then after we get done praying for the sick, we leave people up here to pray for the sick again. And it's not uncommon for us to pray for the sick two or three times in a service. So, but I've, I have just felt in my own, my own personal life a real, um, I've, I've felt like that's the area I could really improve in. <laughs> you know, uh, this week, I can really feel like I can improve in lots of areas. But last week, I thought this was the one area I could improve in. But uh, have you ever had an area in your life... You know, it's so much easier to work on your, on your strengths, isn't it? It's, it's even more fun, actually, I think, for me at least, you know? Like, uh, the prophetic is, is something that I, I've moved in for a long time. It comes really easy to me. I work on, I read books about it, I like to get better, I like to hang around people, I connect really easy. Um, the guys and, and the gals on our team, they read a lot of the healing books and stuff, and I just have never been, had, I've read some of them, of course, but I've never had a real breakthrough or passion there. And I've been thinking about that in my own life for probably, I don't know, more than a month, but more intensely the last couple of weeks, and I, I just started thinking, you know, I just need to really go after this for myself, because... It's, it's an area of weakness, and I can just like live in it weakness. And, and what happens, you know, for us, uh, some of you will kind of understand this, but when we, when we go out from here, like when I go anywhere else that's about 50 miles from Bethel, they think, well, you know, hey, the healing guy's here. <laughs> and so I thought, well, you know, I'm like, well, I better get some healing ministry going on. I'm like, yeah, I have a team right here. They do the healing stuff right here. <laughs> anyway, so this is kind of my own pursuit of just wanting to see people um, healed more consistently in my life. And I, I really have seen a lot of people healed in my life, but um, not, not as consistently as I'd like to see. And, um, in Acts chapter uh, 4, I just want to kind of start there for a minute. Um, this is, it's interesting, the disciples are... Uh, just beaten, and they get to verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were with one heart and soul and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but, they were, they were, um, they're all, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. Say, abundant grace. Abundant grace was upon them all. And we were, we were um, I think it was this morning that we, we were just speaking grace to things. Uh, I think somebody was giving a testimony. Of, I think Eric was giving a testimony about grace, just speaking grace to a wart that was on your uh, foot, it wasn't that it, and uh, you know, he just spoke grace to it for days until that thing finally broke, and, and anyway, I just, been, I just like us to, why don't we stand for just a minute, and before we go any further, and let's just pray this prayer right here, it says that they prayed, they prayed for boldness, let me just read it to you, this part one more time, and now the Lord Take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants would speak your word with confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord, Lord, I pray pray that you would give your servants servants confidence and boldness and and that you would extend your hand to heal and and signs and wonders would take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. 
Now just receive that right now. Lord, we just release that over your people, that boldness and confidence would come on people. And the result is that we'd be one heart and one soul, and that abundant grace would be on all of us right now. In Jesus' name, we pray for abundant grace, more than enough grace. Take us out of the land of just enough. Lord, we release more than enough grace. Grace for every dimension of life, in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray and that, that this abundant grace would release supernatural generosity, as Bill was praying this morning and teaching this morning, that supernatural generosity would come over people today, in Jesus' name. Amen. You go ahead and sit down. And so, you know, I, we, one of the things that hinders us from seeing more people touch is just this whole area of boldness. I think uh, in my own life, I think that I, I have a pretty outgoing personality, but there's still something about having the confidence that when you pray for somebody in the store, in the mall, at, the, uh, you know, at your house, um, you know, at the places that we work, that, that we would not let fear tell us what to do. That we would st- we'd take a stand, we'd step out, and we begin to pray for people and see abundant grace and see with boldness. And there's just something about, you know, um, you don't take credit for things when they uh, go wrong, and you don't take the blame when they, or, or the other way around, actually. See that? I was testing you. You don't get credit when they go right. You don't take the blame when they go wrong. Your, your job, my job, is just to pray, to lay hands on the sick and release what God's given us. And um, I think that, you know, the more often we pray, for, I mean, this is really simple, but the more often we pray for people, the more often they're going to get healed. How many of you know that? I was uh, just, somebody came to me this morning and was, was talking about, uh, I prayed for them last week about, I think it was last week, about dread. Yeah, it was last week. And we, we, when Bill had us praying for different people, I just stepped over some chairs and was praying for somebody, and, and we started ministering to them. And I just said, I just break the spirit of dread off of you. And it didn't feel any, I didn't feel anything. I didn't even remember it, to be honest. And this morning, somebody came up and was telling me that when we broke dread off of them, this, their whole life changed. This is the way they describe it. Their whole life changed. And um, it's like, how many times did we pray for people and we don't, we don't think anything happened? Like, it's just like, oh, that was all right. And, and we don't know it, but something really powerful is happening in their life. And uh, one of the things that, um, that I just want to reassure you of is oftentimes when you pray for people, they don't instantly get healed. Like, I can't tell you how many times we've prayed for people, and it's a week or two later, they call the office, or they send us an email, and they're like, hey, one of your people on the street touched us and prayed for us, or somebody in a conference, we prayed for it, we didn't feel anything happen, and a week later, two weeks later, it's every week in staff meeting, we hear back, two weeks later, three, a month later, that that person got completely healed, and and so I want to really encourage you, like, oftentimes you pray for someone, you're like, well, if... If, if they don't feel something happen right there, I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be embarrassed. And I can't tell you how many times that somebody will get well after the fact, the restored after the fact. Jesus said, if you lay hands on the sick, they will recover. That, uh, we love miracles, but the promise is they will recover. That, that, that word there is a process word. They will recover. And so... Um, there's, there's, there's sometimes there's hindrances. And last week we were talking about that, there's, that Jesus healed multidimensionally. That in the book of Acts, that when Peter and John were going to the temple, uh, the, the temple the, and the, there was a man there at the gate, beautiful, it says that when he got healed from his lameness, that he walked and leaped and praised God. This is review. You know, he walked, he got physically healed. He leaped, he got emotionally healed, and he praised God. He got spiritually healed. And so we talked last week a lot about the fact that the Lord wants to join the gift of wisdom with the power, with the power gifts like healing and deliverance so that people get completely restored. They get, the word is sozo, that they get healed, saved, and delivered. That, the, that their three-dimensional man gets completely whole. Are you with me? And that we need to start moving in, in that kind of thinking. So you know, one of the things I want to really encourage us in is that if we pray for somebody, let's say someone's been prayed for over and over and over, I think those are probably some of the great times for us to just begin to press into the Lord. And I mean, just to say to somebody, you know, we're going to pray about this this week. We're going to ask the Lord for wisdom about what specifically is hindering this healing. And we want to make sure we don't blame the person. I've, we've been through all that. That doesn't work, you know. The person walks away feeling like, well, there's something wrong with me. 
That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just asking, we're just asking for the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom about how he wants to heal this person physically in a way that touches their whole man. Their, you know what I'm saying? Their whole being. One of the things that I, I think that, um, turn to Hebrews chapter uh, 4, and I want to just um, take on one scripture. I was thinking about this, the way that uh, John said in John, uh, in 3 John, let me just read this to you, don't turn there. In 3 John 2, he says, Beloved, I pray that in all way, in all respects, that you may prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. And last week we were talking about the fact that our soul, our soul is the, um, the precursor for holistic living. Like the Lord wants the, the, our soul to be the measurement. I pray that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So the Lord wants the soul the, the, the health of our soul to be the precursor to our whole man. Are you with me? And so um, I was thinking about how important it is for us to realize that there are, there are whole movements that have separated the soul as something like, the soul is something bad, second class, evil. Are you with me? And it's kind of related to this verse. And so I want to read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You'll, you'll probably know this verse. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the vision of the soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let me just go back and read it more slowly. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and is piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And for years, many people have taught that the word of God separates the soul from the spirit, as if God is saying, listen, the spirit is good, and the soul is bad, and so the word of God is separating the soul from the spirit. Are you with me? But um, Harold Everly uh, did a word study on this in the Greek, and what he says is the actual Greek says this, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it actually divides the spirit from the spirit and the soul from the soul. The point is, instead of the sword coming, if this is the soul and this is the spirit, instead of the sword coming between the soul and the spirit, dividing the soul from the spirit, it's actually dividing, the, the sword's actually coming this way and dividing what shouldn't be in the spirit from what should be and what shouldn't be in the soul from what should be. Now, why is that important? It's important because we're supposed to prosper and the, and the, the level of, the, of, the, of your whole being's prosperity is relegated to your soul. I pray that you would be in good health and that you would prosper just as your soul prospers. If you feel like there, if someone taught you that your soul is wrong, like your soul is bad, your soul is something that's not supposed, you know, it's not, you're not supposed to, your soul is not something that really is a part of God's world. Are you with me? Your emotions, the, your will, all of that is, like that is opposed to God. If you begin to believe that, then the, can you see that if your soul is not prospering, then it actually affects the level of everything else in your life. So if you're taught that the soul is somehow like the bad guy, and the spirit is somehow the good guy, are you with me? And I want to propose to you that God actually made your soul and your spirit. In this, in this, the psalmist wrote this, My soul will make a boast in the Lord, and the humble will hear it and be glad. In Deuteronomy 4.29, But from there you will seek the Lord, your God, and you shall find him if you search for him with all your heart, and listen to this, with all your soul. In Deuteronomy 6.5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. I'm sorry. Psalms uh, 63.1, O oh God, you are my God, and I shall seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My, let's get this. My flesh yearns for you. Are you getting this? In other words, the soul, the soul is the soul also hungers for God. The soul is not the bad guy. It's not, it's not the Romans 6, the mindset on the flesh is death. He's talking about in Romans 6, if you finish reading Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, you'll see that the, the flesh he's talking about is the flesh that he, that, that he goes on to talk about in Galatians 5, where he says, these are the deeds of the flesh. And he talks about jealousy and selfishness and envy and strife and contention. 
When he, talking, when he says the mindset on the flesh is death, he's talking about jealousy, envy, strife. He's talking about the old man that we drowned tonight in the baptismal tank. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as you love your own flesh. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but what? Nourishes and cherishes it. Well, how do you have, if you have your mindset on the flesh and it's death, how do you nourish and cherish it? How many of you know that there's two fleshes? Before you receive, when you receive Jesus and you got into the baptismal tank, you drowned the flesh that's your enemy that you're not supposed to have your mind on, which is jealousy and envy and strife and sensuality and sexuality. You know, those things drowned in the tank. And now you received a new man. Not just a new spirit. You received a whole new man. You became a new creation. Are you, are you getting this? And even your flesh hungers for God if you stay right with God. Now listen, think about this. If your flesh is if you believe your flesh is evil, what are you doing trying to get it healed? But if your flesh is actually the sanctuary that the Holy Spirit lives in, you want to take care of it. See, see what you believe about your soul and your flesh has a lot to do with whether or not you keep your healing. If someone taught you that your, your emotions, people, um, you know, they say sometimes of charismatics, um, you know, those people are just emotional. Well, God's the most emotional guy in the Bible. Do you know why you're emotional? Because you're made in his image, and he's emotional. He gets happy, he gets angry. Read the, read the whole Bible. He, he cries, he grieves. The, all the emotions that you have, he has those. The reason why you have them is because he has them. Wouldn't there be a few emotions you would like to not have? Wouldn't it be nice to not, you just couldn't do anger, like it wasn't, it wasn't one of them. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Do you, do you know that, that there's even a godly jealousy? That God, so the Bible says that God is actually jealous for you? I, I know, most of the jealousy we have fits into Galatians 5. <laughs> that not good jealousy. But there's a godly jealousy. God is even jealous for us. So, how many of you know, there, there's, um, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3, two women, Solomon becomes king, and two women, two, two, um, the, the Bible, well, in fact, I'll just read it to you. Two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him, and one of the women said, O Lord, this woman that I live with in the same house, I gave birth to a child while she was in the house, and it happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child, and we were together, and there was no stranger in the house, only the two of us. And it goes on to say that one of the children died. Do you remember this story? And so they're arguing over the living child. They're arguing over whose child is the living child. And they're both saying, well, this is my child, this is my child. And what did Solomon do in his wisdom? He says, bring the child here. And he gets the child, and what does he do? He says, bring me a sword. And he, and he, he acts like he's going to cut the child in half. And one of the women, the one woman says, that's right. And the other, women, the other woman says, no, 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 she can have him. Remember this? And Solomon goes, it belongs to the one who said she can have him. Because she'd rather see him alive than cut in half. There's a whole lot of people in, the, uh, in, the, in Christian circles that think that they can divide the soul from the spirit and when they end up with something dead. They divide up the child and they end up with something dead and wonder why sickness and death and destruction follows them. But John was clear when he said this. He said that I want you to prosper in the way that your soul prospers. So if the, if the soul is the... The, is on the threshold, if the soul is the measurement by which the rest of our being prospers, how many of you know it's pretty important that we take care of our soul? And David said this in the 23rd Psalm, he said, the Lord restores my what? Soul. The Lord, the Lord restores my soul. And so um, it's important that we, that we see that, that God wants to restore our soul and that that becomes the foundation for everything else that God's doing in our life. So sometimes we, um, you know, sometimes we we allow things to happen in our lives 
where little by little our joy siphons off. How many of you have ever experienced your joy siphoning off? Maybe that's why David prayed, restore the joy of my salvation and renew the right spirit in me. I bet you really, if all of us have been saved for some length of time, probably all have gone through a season where our joy is siphoned off. There's a danger in allowing our joy to siphon off because how many know that the kingdom of God is not eat or drink, but righteousness, peace? When joy goes away, one third of the kingdom has just decreased in our life. And when that decreases in our life, it's almost like, it feels to me like the immune system of, the, of our whole being has dropped to a place where, um, I, I want to use as an example, where, where you, you almost need to be isolated. Now, I don't mean isolated as a person, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, what happens when your immune system is really, like, like oftentimes you take chemotherapy, they don't want you to be around anyone who's sick because you can catch diseases really easy. I think that there's something that happens in us when our joy gets depleted that our soul's in a low place. Are you with me? I can't tell you how many times that I've heard people say um, that they got, they got some sickness or some disease after some physical, no, some emotional tragedy in their life. Like how many people have, I, I want to be careful not to release this as some kind of prophetic declaration. This is not a prophetic declaration. This is an observation that we need to reverse. Can you, t- can you receive it like that? I-, I can't tell you how many times a spouse dies, the other spouse is perfectly healthy when they die, but six months later, the other spouse dies. There's just something, you know, you know how many times have you heard that? You know, there's something about what happens when you, when you lose your joy, you lose the, the, the sense of purpose in your life, and pretty soon, you seem, it seems like your whole being becomes vulnerable to sickness. Um. A few years ago, this is actually probably longer than a few years ago, but I, uh, I talked to somebody who said, you know, they, they, one of their children was killed in an accident, and then about three months later, this woman got breast cancer. And, then, and so I was praying for her. This is when I first came here. That would have been, that would have been 11 years ago. And um, so I was praying for her, and then probably it, it was sometime in the same, I don't know, vicinity, maybe it's a few days or... It could have even been the same day. Looking back so far, I don't remember. But this is what I do remember. I remember praying for several people in a very short period of time, probably a week or two, who all had a trauma and then got sick. And I remember thinking, and I haven't thought about it for a long time until I started this whole, like, redigging this process, this healing thing in my life. I, I remember thinking back then, there's something about trauma and illness that's somehow related. There's something about the trauma that, that begins in the soul that somehow works its way up into the spirit. Do you know what I'm getting at? And I think there's just times when, and now if it's all right, I'm just processing out loud. This is not like a prophetic declaration, nor can I, you know, have I found this in the, in the Bible exactly like this. But I think there are times when people, um, they really, they, they really, we need to, they're coming for prayer for, cancer or some, maybe it's nothing even that, you know, uh, life-threatening, but that really what needs to happen is their soul needs to get well. Does that make sense? I think there are times when we just have to start saying, you know, let's pray for that in, in a few minutes, but what's going on in your life? Are you okay? How are you doing inside? Yeah, I'm stressed over my illness. Yeah, but, but before you got sick, were you, was there something going on before you got sick? Yeah, there really was. You know, my... Can we, can we help you deal with that? Like, is there, are you willing to do, you know what I'm getting at? Like, is it maybe a loss of a father or whatever? Like, there's just people that, that don't know how to grieve. And what happens if you don't know how to grieve? How many of you know that in the Old Testament, when a relative of yours died, they set aside 40 days for grieving? Did you know that? That was actually, that was actually time set aside. Look at uh, Genesis uh, the 50th chapter, for instance, Joseph's father, Israel, dies, and they set aside 40 days for grieving. I'm not saying it's grieve for 40 days. I'm simply saying that the Jewish mind said, grief is normal during a loss. But what happens if you don't allow yourself to grieve? In other words, you don't externally grieve. Is it possible that it comes out other ways, is what I'm getting at. Is it possible that you're, you're not allowing yourself to grieve? Maybe you were raised in a, in a, in a home where you know, you're a male and, and your dad taught you, I'm just suggesting, like, you know, uh, men don't cry. 
You know, something dumb like men don't cry or, or you were raised in a, in, a, in a family lineage that doesn't show emotion. Like there's, there's, you just have to be strong. Or maybe you're just in a situation where this person who died was kind of the strength of your family and, and all the trauma around it, you were the next person in line and you had to stand and be strong and other people got to grieve, but you didn't get your chance to grieve because you were being strong for other people at the time. And then when the time, and the time passed and you just never got, I can't tell you how many times, and I've talked to Danny about this before in my office where I'm praying for people. This is uh, the first few years that I was here. I did a lot of the counseling here. I pray for people and, you know, and they, I would say, you know, did your, you know, did you lose your father? Yeah, I lost my father when I was 20. I was, you know, it was, I was, it was really tough. So, you know, did you ever cry about that, you know? No, I just didn't feel, I don't know, just didn't feel. And then we start praying over them, and suddenly this overwhelming grief comes over them. And have you ever seen that happen? And they just, and it's something hits them, it's like it's a process that never got complete in their life. And they just grieve in my office. They're just in a, they're just in a puddle on the floor. And maybe they do that for two or three days, and like, ah, oh, something just feels clean now. But I wonder what happens to people who don't allow the process to happen in their life. Maybe it's a divorce or a loss of a loved one or, or just a job you had forever that was, you know, it was just a part of who you were. And then suddenly, you know, they just cut you like it was, I just feel the Holy Spirit give me things, to be totally honest. Sometimes they can just, you can lose your job in a way that just feels like you were cut off. You know, you're like, I gave 20 years of this, and then, you know, I walked in the boss's office, he handed me a check, as if this is going to pay for my, all my dedication. How many of you have ever had things in your life where just, you know, maybe no one else would understand, but that was a grief in your life. And so I just want to just free you, like, I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to just release us to have a healthy soul, to make sure that we cultivate it. And, and how do I know if my soul's healthy? Well, you'll, have, you'll, you'll pretty much be joyful. Now, there's a difference between joy and pleasure. We talked about that a while back. You, you can be full of joy and not be having fun. It doesn't say righteousness, peace, and fun. How many of you know that we go through seasons that are sometimes not fun? You can still have joy in the middle of tough seasons. And, and I'm not talking about you're falling on the floor, rolling around. It's like, well, if I'm not doing that, then there's something wrong. I'm not trying to create some introspection. I'm simply saying that if you struggle pretty much continually with, with, without joy, and it's been a long time, probably there's something not quite right. Are you with me? And the first thing to do is before you go grab a friend, just grab the Holy Spirit. And he may say, grab a friend. But sometimes we're afraid to ask the Holy Spirit what might be in there. Let me, I need to say that again. Sometimes we're afraid what the Holy Spirit might find. It's like going to the doctor. I don't know if this happens to you. I have, I, we have a really good doctor who's part of our board, so it helps some. But I have this fear of going to the doctors. I've got a lot better. I used to never go. But, um, but it, it's like, I'm just concerned. Like I can go in for a cold, and I'm like, I hope they don't find like a tumor somewhere. This, you know, it's like, I'm going to go there, they're going to scan me, and they're going to find something terrible wrong with me. And so usually I get in there and I want to tell them, like, it's okay, like, <laughs> I'm fine, just give me a pill. Don't even check anything. I know the heart's beating, I checked it last night. She's, everything's good to go. Give me some antibiotics. Don't even use a scope on me, I'm good. Sometimes we're like that with the Holy Spirit. You don't want any downtime, you don't want any quiet time, because you're afraid he's going to find something wrong with you. And I want to tell you that most often what the Holy Spirit finds is something amazing. He gets looking in there, and he finds God in there. And he goes, this is amazing. This looks just like Jesus everywhere I look. Look at Christ is being formed in there perfectly. He's growing just fine in there. And you know, you know, what? <laughs> you know what I'm getting at? You're just like this big womb, and Paul said Christ is being formed in you, and you just go to the Holy Spirit doctor, and he's the great physician, and he checks you out, he's growing perfectly. I've been growing perfectly for, since I've been at Bethel. I was like, I got an 11-year um, pregnancy. The greater the destination, the, larger, the longer the gestation. 
I'm probably going to Mars. <laughs> um, I, I think I'll just finish. I have a whole bunch of other stuff I was going to do, but turn to um, 2 Kings, and I think I'll just finish with the story. 2 Kings chapter um, 5 would be a good place to start. 2 Kings chapter 5. Verse 1. Now Naaman was captain of an army, sorry, captain of the army of Aram, was a great man, and his master, I'm sorry, and with his master, start over. Now Naaman, captain of the army of, of the king of Aram, Aram, was a great man with his master, and highly respected because of him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. And the man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Armenians had gone out into bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she, um, she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus, thus and thus spoke the girl who's from the land of Israel. And the king of Aram said, Go now, I will, send you, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed, and he took some money with him. Verse 6, He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now this letter comes to you. Behold, I have sent you Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? To kill and to make alive? This man is sending this word to me to cure, cure this man of leprosy? But consider now and see, he's just seeking to quarrel with me. And it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard um, that the king of Israel had tore his clothes, that he sent a word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went to the, with horses and chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent his messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean." But Naaman was furious, and he went away, saying, Behold, I thought he'd surely come out to me and stand on my stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over this place and cure my leper, cure the leper. Are not, and he names rivers in Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do something, some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more than when he says, wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Isn't that awesome? And I just want to stop for a minute there and just, uh, how many of you know that there's a difference between a symbolic act and a prophetic act? There's a difference between a symbolic act and a prophetic act. A symbolic act is something we do to remember. Right, like they set up stones when they crossed the River Jordan, when they crossed the the, um, the Red Sea, and they set up these these stones that were monuments. and And they go, well, why are we setting up these stones? And God says, so when your children ask you about these stones, right, they become uh, they become like a um, it, yeah a memorial, but I'm thinking a talking point, you know, conversation piece. They become like a conversation piece to remind. They're your children of the works of God. Are you with me? So, so the, there, there, are, um, there are symbolic acts. How many of you know that communion is a symbolic act? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Why do we take communion? Well, we take communion for lots of dimensions, for a lot of different reasons. But one of the reasons we take it is so that we remember that we live on this side of the cross. So every time we take communion, we go, hey, anything that's in this new covenant, I should be experiencing. Every time I take communion, if I'm sick, I'm like, hey, I'm on the wrong side of the cross, right? Because healing was purchased in the blood of Christ. So I remember, like, hey, I shouldn't be sick. I'm taking communion. Wait, what am I doing? I'm eating the body of Jesus. Why am I doing that? Because he died on the cross for this thing I'm, I'm experiencing. This isn't right. Are you with me? Okay, but but... But a prophetic act is a totally different thing. Baptism that we did tonight is a prophetic act. 
Baptism is not a symbolic act. Never, there's no place in the Bible that says, do this in remembrance of Christ's death. It says, when you get in the baptismal tank and we put you under the water, you died. Romans 6. When you got baptized and you got under the water, you died. When we lift you up, you raise from the dead. So how many of you know that, Bill used to say this a lot, physical obedience brings spiritual release. So baptism is not a symbolic act, but it's a prophetic act. And when we put you under the water and bring you up, you died and you came to life in your new life. I heard a couple of people saying that tonight. How many of you know that when Naaman went into the river and he dunked himself seven times, how many know there was no magic in the water? The water, wasn't, the water didn't make him clean. You could go in there yourself and dunk seven times, probably nothing's going to happen to you. But it was in the fact that he did something that became a prophetic act. When he, when he did what God told him to do, suddenly it released something in another dimension. Are you with me? I wonder how many people need a prophetic act to see, them, see God work in their life. I, I wonder how, how many times God's just waiting for us to say, go dip in the, you know, the river, I don't know, whatever. You know, not go run out in the highway. That wouldn't be a good prophetic act. But something powerful. But let's go on. It goes on to say that uh, Gehazi, who is Elisha's servant, so he goes away. So I'll tell you the rest of the story. So Naaman goes away. Obviously, he gets healed. And he comes back, and he, he's, he's a happy guy. And he wants to give Elisha an offering. And Elisha's like, no, no, I'm not taking any of your money. And he rides off. Well, Gehazi, Elisha's servant, runs after him and says, hey, my master changed his mind and he'd like you to give a little money to him. And Gehazi gives him some money and he comes back. He doesn't think Elisha knows anything about it. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Because he's working for a prophet, not an administrator. (laughs) And he comes back and Elisha says to Gehazi, when you left, my spirit went with you. My spirit went with you. And you took the money I told him I didn't want. And so leprosy will be on you from this day on. And you on your grandchildren, on your, on your lineage from this day on. And immediately he becomes leprous. Now, what's really interesting is in the... Um, in the, uh, in the, the in the seventh chapter of Second uh, Kings, there's a famine. Do you remember this? And there's no food. And it's in, um, it's in chapter 7, verse, uh, I think, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 24. There's, there's such a bad famine, and the, they're surrounded by an enemy army. Israel's surrounded by an enemy army. The famine's so severe and so bad that the Israelites started eating one another. Remember that? It's really a gross story. That's why I'm not reading it. And there's four lepers outside of the city. And they go, you know what? We're sitting out here and we're going to starve to death. Maybe, listen, if we, if, why don't we go see, maybe the enemy will feed us. One way or another, we're going to die. But Elisha had already prophesied that by this time tomorrow, you're going to, you'll be feasting. And so they go, the four lepers, they go over to the camp where the, uh, where the enemy is, and the enemy's gone. And there's all this food. And they start eating all the food. Do you remember this? And they're like, oh, this won't be good if we're the only people eating. They're eating each other in there. We better go tell them there's food here, and the enemy's gone. So they go in and tell them there's food, and, and, and so that story goes on. But here's a really interesting thing. A, a, a little while later, because there's a famine, Elisha tells Am I losing you in all this? Is this too long? Sorry. This feels like it's getting really long. It is getting long. Okay. Elisha raises a woman's son from the dead. Remember this? Then he tells her, you need to leave this land because there's going to be a famine. So she leaves the land, and when the famine's over, she comes back. And while she's gone, someone takes her land. So she goes to the king to tell the king, hey, I'd I'd like to petition to get my land back. Okay, are you following me? Now, guess who's in the king's court counseling the king when the woman 
whose son was dead, comes to get her land. Gehazi. And he's telling the king, he just happens to be telling the king the story about Elisha. And the king is so excited, he goes, tell me some more stories. So so Gehazi is telling stories about what happened when he used to serve Elisha. These people got ill, these crazy things happened. Are you with me? Now, first of all, I want to propose to you that it's, it, it, Gehazi must have got healed of leprosy because he wouldn't be in the king's court. This is just a guess, but it's very possible that he was one of the four lepers at the gate. Possible. It's possible. It's possible that he was at the gate. It's possible he got healed after that act, but he's definitely healed because no king is going to let a leper in his court. And he's telling the king stories, and as he's telling the king the stories about Elisha, he gets to the story where he goes, let me tell you this really crazy story. There was this woman, first of all, she didn't have a son. And, and Elisha prophesied that this time next year you're going to have a son, and he has, she has a son. And then, a few years later, the son dies. I think this is the right story. I hope it's the right story. It's close to the story. Is this the right story? Is that two stories? Probably two stories. But this part is right. The son does die. I think I got Elijah and Elisha all mixed up. It's all right. It's a family affair. But the son dies. I know this part is for sure because I read it tonight. The son dies and Elisha raises him from the dead. And while he's telling that story, the woman comes in to petition him. And Gehazi goes, Hey, and so she's telling the, the king her story. Hey, you know, I got, went, and my land's gone. I came back, the famine. And, and Gehazi goes, you know that woman I was telling you about, about the son died? Yeah, that's her. That's the woman right there. The son died right there. That's the woman. And the king restores her land and gives her all the stuff, right? Here's, here's just kind of what I want to end with. If you get greedy, you'll be telling the stories instead of doing the stuff. I don't be the guy telling the stories. I mean, I want to tell other people's testimonies, but I I don't want to not have my own. Now, the Bible says, Jesus said, you're either serving mammon or God, and you can't serve both. And as soon as you become for sale... You move over with Gehazi and start serving the wrong spirit. How many of you are with me? It's really, imp- <laughs> it's really important that we don't let greed become a part of our life. Don't matter. Let's say that God starts doing all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles in your life. How many of you know that lots of people want you to come to their place? They, they pay you to come to your place. How many of you know that as soon as you start Filling up your calendar by how much you get paid? You're prostituting your gift. And if you want that thing to pass from generation to generation, mammon won't carry it for you. Only God will. Only God is eternal. If you give, you know, like Abraham so gave to Melchizedek, who had no beginning, no end, he gave to Melchizedek, and, and we talked about this a long time ago, he gave to Melchizedek and Levi, his great-great-great-grandson got credit for it. How many of you know that when you sow into eternity, you reap a legacy? But if you work for money, money only has the here and now. So how many of you know that it's really important that as the Lord begins to release us into new dimensions of abundant grace that we prayed for earlier, that our soul is not for sale at any price. Uh, um, we, you know, uh, a lot of the team, Bill and I and a lot of the team, we have the privilege of traveling. And we have you know, um, quite a few invitations right now. And so we have opportunity to go lots of different places. One of the things that I've not been allowed to do is, first of all, I don't deal with the money and I never ask, what was, what's the offering? I never ask for an offering. I never ask what the last offering was. And I never make a decision based on how much money they gave me last time I went there or how much money they're offering me to go there. And it's not that I couldn't be, like I came out of the business world. 
It's not that that couldn't be a motivation. It's because it could that I don't, I don't ask and I don't look. Kathy can tell you, I never go, how much did we get last time we were here? I don't, I don't ask about it. I don't. As soon as I do that, it opens the door. It's kind of like, um, this may be too extreme, but it's kind of like pornography. I know that if I opened the door to pornography, that it would find a place in me. I know that it would find a place in me. I know that if I opened the door to that, that it would find a place in me. Let, me. let me put it this way. I think it would find a place in me. So I think it's really important that you all quit your jobs. <laughs> I think you should go back and work there tomorrow. But I think you should work for God if you're not. Amen. Instead of for money. Think about what happens if you go back to the same place and you work for the supreme being. And you don't work to please men. Think about how much better job you do when you know that God even knows if you complain about coming here. <laughs> he didn't say complain, he said argue, and I'm only teasing you, of course. But how many of you know that God knows everything about us? What happens when you, work, you go back to wherever it is you're working, but instead of working for the man you can see, that you work for... The, the kingdom. And you work as on to the Lord instead of on to men. And instead of being motivated by how much money you make, instead of complaining about how much you're not making, that suddenly you go, I'm working for the kingdom and he has unlimited resources and there's no recession there. What would happen if I went to work tomorrow and I didn't, and I didn't think about, and, and I, and I, I, I I proactively thought, I'm going to work today for God. And I still do whatever it is I do. If I work in a coffee shop, I'm going there for God. And I go, you know what? My promotion, my raises, they're coming from God. There's just something about what happens in your spirit where God just begins to have a platform to pour through you. It's kind of like, if you know, who's going to give you, if you're not, if, you, if you're, if you're not a good steward of unrighteous mammon, who's going to give you true riches? As Bill said this morning. What would happen if you started to work for God and all the unrighteous mammon that you deal with, you, you, you're not hungry for that. You're just hungry for what happens with God. What, what would it be like? What kind of, how much would your soul prosper if you were just out from under the pressure of having to perform for money? And instead, you just did good works for Christ Jesus. Because we were created for good works in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship. His, that word workmanship, poema. We're his poem created for good works in Christ Jesus. How many of you know when you go to work, that's just another line in the poem? Are you with me? So I, I, think, that the, I think the Lord just wants to release a new level of of uh, a new sense of, uh, of purpose and destiny in each of our lives. I think he wants us to move in a new level of supernatural power, especially in the whole area of healing. I just have a sense that we're coming into a floodgate. Like, I think that, I think that the standard that we're at, I think that maybe we, it's easy to get satisfied there and go, well, we have quite a few healings, but we're not even close to where Jesus was, and he said, greater works will you do. I was, just, I was reading all the healing scriptures in the last two days, and it said he, several places, and he healed them all, and he healed them all, and he healed them all. And I'm like, wow, we're not close to that, much less greater works shall you do. And so I, I just have a sense that the Lord just wants to open a floodgate, and with, with that floodgate comes favor, and with that favor comes responsibility, and with responsibility needs to have a platform of integrity. Are you with me? Because we don't want to be the ones telling the stories to our children. I don't want to tell my, my grandkids about healing. I want to show them. How, how many know what I mean? I want to demonstrate. I want to say, hey, uh, uh, Misha, bring your friend over here who's sick. Let me show you what we've, what we've learned. I want to be able to not just talk about what happened. I want to be able to do it. Are you with me? So why don't you stand? We prayed once for boldness.
How many of you feel like you could use another level of anointing in your life? How many of you feel like How many of you feel like you have enough already? You have enough already. Okay. <laughs> how many of you aren't going to raise your hand? <laughs> so, let's just put our hands on just ask. Lord, we just pray right now for another level of anointing in our lives. For healing, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would just come in your grace, in your power, and that you'd move in us in new dimensions. That wisdom, that insight, that prophetic acts, that we just begin to move in all kinds of dimensions. Things our forefathers moved in and things no one's ever thought of. That even in the, even in the gifts of the Spirit, that we would move in innovation and creation. New ways of seeing people well. Lord, we just pray for that right now. We pray, too, for a pure heart, a clean heart, a pure heart. That, that we, um, that, that a million dollars could pass through our hands without us touching it, if that's what you want, if that's what you require. Father, we just pray for that. We pray for a clean heart, that we wouldn't be motivated by money. Father, we thank you for prosperity We thank you that there's nothing evil about money itself. But Lord, we pray against the love of money. Against the materialism that that could steal away our hearts. Things that can steal our hearts like Solomon's heart was stolen away in, in his latter years. Lord, we just pray for a clean heart. We pray for a pure heart. We pray that we could be trusted. That we would be the stewards who could be trusted that when you come back and ask for an accounting, that we'd say, you gave us $5,000 and we've gained 5,000 more. We'd be people who know that this is your money. We hope you have enjoyed this session. For more information, please visit our website at www.moralrevolution.com.